So this morning, I want to ask you a question to start off. Have you ever heard anybody say, you know, I'm just not really all that much into religion? When people say something like that to me, I go, me either. I mean, I really hope that I'm not into religion. And they always look at me kind of funny. And I said, because, you know, there's a real difference between religion and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. There's a big difference. And this morning, we're going to see as we look at Luke's gospel together that there is an incredible difference between those who were religious people. As a matter of fact, Jesus seemed to have had more problem with the religious people than anybody else. Have you noticed that? I hope you've been reading through this gospel of Luke. And this morning, if you're our guest, we're, we're kind of on page 40, all right? And then we're going to keep going. We're going to reach back and look at something that Johnny mentioned last week. And then we're going to keep going because <clears throat> I want you to see a theme that's here. And really, here's the question for today. Am I trying to be religious or do I have a relationship with Jesus? That's the question that seems to put a thread through this text today. And so I want us to ask that question together as we open God's Word. Now, the cool thing about you having one of these is even if you're not comfortable writing in a Bible, some people just kind of grew up that way, like, man, don't ever write in a, in a Bible, okay? But you can write in this, and maybe you don't feel so much like you're writing in your own Bible. Hey, grab a couple more of those, would you? And drop them off on this table as you pass back by Addie here, okay? Just let, right here, come on by there. All right, drop, drop them off one. Well, page 40 is where we're starting, all right? And the reason I'm backing up is Johnny said something about this last week, but I want to I go back and then show you how it continues even after the passage he preached on last week. This really is the first time the Pharisees are introduced here in this Gospel of Luke. The Pharisees. On page 40, I'm in, what chapter is that? Chapter 5, uh, we're down in verse 17, and I just want you to see how many times it comes up. Verse 17 says, one of those days he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. All right, so that's, that's one. In verse 21, and the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, now turn the page, page 42. Drop down a little way, and Levi, in verse 29, had a feast at his house. And then verse 30, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples. Verse 33, and they, what's the antecedent to the pronoun? This is, we're still talking about the Pharisees, all right? And they said to him, verse 34, and Jesus said to them, we're still talking about the Pharisees. Now turn the page. Top of page 44, verse 36. He also told them a parable. We're still talking about the Pharisees. Now go to chapter 6. On the Sabbath, then verse 2. Some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And then he said to them, verse 5, 
the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Then down in verse 7, the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. And turn the page, top of page 46. But they, speaking of the Pharisees, were filled with fury and discussed one another what they might do to Jesus. So today we're going to try to make a comparison. We know that these Pharisees were the religious crowd. And we're going to try to make a comparison to what it means to look at religion versus what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we open your word now with great reverence. We know that it is the word of God. So would you be our teacher? Would you speak to us in a personal way? We open up our lives to you and we make this invitation. Lord God, speak to my heart. If you can, would you pray that simple prayer out loud with me? Lord God, speak to my heart. And Lord, as you speak, we'll know that it's you. So we listen now for your voice in Jesus' name. Amen. Pharisee. What kind of definition could you give for a Pharisee? Well, if you Google it, and please don't do that now, all right? But if, if you Google it, you'll find multiple ways for people trying to explain. And most of them get really deep and intellectually mushy. And, you know, you, you just kind of feel like you're walking along in, in a swamp almost trying to say, but still, what does Pharisee mean? Maybe you've actually heard people talk about don't be so pharisaical, you know, and, and typically what they're doing is grabbing this word and applying it to a life conversation of people with a bunch of rules and religion. So, Pharisee. Well, they tell me that the root word for Pharisee goes back to one that means to separate. Some say that it means to separate in a sense of teaching and applying the Scripture. Even go back to the day when, when Ezra and they opened the word of God when they came back from the, from the land of bondage. And there were those who were interpreting what they were hearing and explaining the scripture. That They say that some of those were the beginning of the Pharisees. So what happened to them? Well, they took this whole idea of being separate and they made a whole bunch of rules and regulations to explain what it means to not be like the common man, but to be very pious and very religious. And basically, if you were going to try to say, what are the two things that Pharisees do all the time? What, what did they do? Well, I, I wrote it down to make sure I could get it right. They meticulously observed the law for tithing and the Sabbath. They watch this really tough because you see Jesus dealing with them in that. And they emphasize the oral tradition to be just as binding as the written law. Now, what do I mean by the oral tradition? Well, they had the law, but people said, so what does it really mean? So they'd say, well, it means this, and then it means this, and then it means this. And they had pages of explanation to say what it means to keep the Sabbath. I mean, dozens of things that they talked about. You couldn't work. Well, what does it mean to not work? So then, well, you, know, you can't cook. 
Ladies, you want to apply that one on Sunday? You can try it, all right? Give it a shot. You can't cook. and I mean, all these things you can't do on the Sabbath. And so now these guys show up, and they're religious, and they come to see what they can do because they're jealous about Jesus and the crowds that are following him. Chapter 5, verse 17 says, On one of those days he was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and from Jerusalem. I mean, these guys, word got out that Jesus was teaching with authority and with power, and they said, we better go figure out, is he one of us, or why is he getting such a crowd following him? They were jealous. And so, as they came, we're going to approach this morning the same pattern that we've been applying. If you haven't written this down yet, I think we told you early on to flip over to the back and write down how you can read and study this together. And we put together a few things about what do I see? What do I see about God? What do I see about how people responded to God? And what do I see about my heart wanting to do something with what I'm reading? Now, now why do we list those things basically because we know we're not living in the same day Jesus lived right I mean we we don't have the same application of problems that they have we have some same problems but we life is different here on planet earth today than it was the days when Jesus was walking as far as technology and even the problems of the Pharisees and all those things so we're not trying to be just like Jesus and how he did these things, but we are trying to learn from what we see about Jesus and how people responded to Jesus and how our hearts are supposed to respond to Jesus correctly. So those are the things we're applying every time we're, we're reading these passages. So today we say, what about religion and relationships? In this first encounter, if you're a note taker, uh, I'm going to list five things today that we see that apply to rules and religion and a relationship to Jesus. Here's the first one. As we look at this, I can keep all of the rules of religion and not have a relationship with Jesus. You know that, right? Some people have gone to church all their life. But when you start talking to them about a relationship with God, they don't have one. Some people, I mean, I started to say religiously, that's redundant. But they, they religiously go to church every Sunday. I mean, it, it's such a ritual for them. And they go through that and they feel like, you know, no matter what I did on Friday and Saturday night, if I go, if I go on Sunday, you know, I mean, I'll, have, I'll be all right. And then they move on. They see that they can almost separate religious activity from a relationship with God and then there are others who go to the other extreme it's not that they live recklessly as a matter of fact they live so meticulously that they think other people aren't good because they don't keep the rules the same way they keep the rules and it is so possible for us to have all of the rules box checked and still not have a relationship with Jesus let me show you what I mean. The story that Johnny read last week, beginning chapter 5, verse 17. You remember the guy that was healed? He, he couldn't get through the crowd, and they, they brought him, and they opened up the roof, and they let him down. 
and the Pharisees were there listening. <clears throat> and as the Pharisees were listening, all of a sudden they they see this guy come floating down, <laughs> his friends letting him down. And uh, as he as he came down, and Jesus said to him, "Your sins are forgiven." And everybody was thinking, he didn't come here to get his sins forgiven. He came here so he could walk. And then Jesus understood what the Pharisees and everyone was thinking. He said, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that you really can't tell if what happens when I say his sins are forgiven. And some of you are thinking only God could forgive sins. So who are you to think you can say something like that? But then he said, okay, just to prove to you that I'm really who I said I am. Be healed. Take up your bed and go. Now, I want you to see the response. Verse 25, he immediately rose and he picked up what he'd been lying on and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they were glorifying God and they were filled with awe saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. You think? (laughs) I mean, we just saw a guy who couldn't walk and he was healed and I mean, they were blown away except for the Pharisees. The Pharisees didn't like what they saw because they hadn't healed anybody and they didn't like the fact that everybody was following Jesus and not them. So, The page turns. Pharisees are still hanging out. They're still watching Jesus. And Jesus walks by Levi, it says in verse 27, whose name is also Matthew. You say, well, why didn't he go by Matthew and not Levi? The same reason when I travel overseas, I go by Henry. It's my first name. I thought seriously about changing my name to be Hank, you know. I just thought that might be cool just to start going by Hank instead of, instead of Al, you know. But when I travel, in some countries, the word Al means the, like Al-Qaeda, all right. So, I mean, you know, think about it. Just, it's just a little preposition or a little modifier. And so I, I don't want people calling me the, you know, with one E. Come on, that was a joke. You got it, right? You figured that out, all right? But, I mean, I, I go by Henry because it's the first name on the passport. Levi had a nickname and a name, and it's the same guy because you can read it in Matthew sometimes, same story told. He, he went by this tax collector named Levi. He was sitting in a booth, and he said to him, follow me, and leaving everything, he rose, and he followed him. So what happened next? Right when Levi started following him. They went to his house and he threw a party. I've heard of people having baptismal parties. You know, they get baptized and they invite all their friends to come watch them get baptized. And then they have a big party. And Levi had a following Jesus party. All right. He knew that he was about to leave what he had and start following Christ. And notice who came. It says in verse 29, Levi made him a great feast at his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. He invited all of his buddies, fellow tax collectors. And all of these guys came and there's no indication. Well, let me, let me study it in the positively. 
there's every indication that Jesus enjoyed hanging out with them. I mean, the objection of the Pharisees, how could he enjoy eating and drinking with those Pharisees? I mean, with those sinners, those tax collectors. I mean, they, they were blown away that Jesus could have fun at a party. Why? Because Pharisees don't have fun, all right? I mean, they don't know how to do anything but keep the rules and act religious. And so that leads me to my next point. If you hadn't written this one down yet, one, I can keep all the rules and not have a relationship with Jesus. Two, religion makes me want to avoid people who need Jesus. This is a real warning for churchgoers. If we're not careful, because we so desperately need to be around other believers, we can find ourselves not even want to be around someone who doesn't know Christ. And we're kind of missing the point of what he wants us to do as Christ followers. He wants us to be a light, not put a basket over the light. Now, some of you say, if you can see where I work, you know there's no problem with this. <laughs> I mean, I'm around people all the time that don't know Christ. Well, good. Realize that God puts you there for a reason, and he wants to use you for his glory in that reason as you are one little candle, maybe, in a really dark place. But watch what happens. The Scripture says that the Pharisees at the party, verse 30 they were watching, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and with sinners? Don't you know that these people aren't as religious and as cool as we are? I mean, don't you see that there's a problem? Religion makes us want to avoid people who need Jesus. Before we move on, let me ask you, who do you hang out with? And even take it a step further. Have you ever thought about intentionally hanging out with people who don't know Christ for the purpose of loving them and telling them that you do know Christ? I've seen the statistics now for decades, and they haven't changed. The most fruitful time for a person sharing their faith is the first six months after they come to know Jesus. Why? Because most of their friends don't know Jesus. Now they may not know how to share Christ, but they know that they ought to be telling people what they found, or better yet, what found them when they came to Christ. And then time goes on, and they start building relationships with other people that are just like them. And they really want to run constantly away from those who don't know Jesus to see if they can make sure they spend most of their time with those who do know Jesus. Now listen, I understand that there's a really fine line here. But I think the scripture needs to stretch us. So that we will not find ourselves like the Pharisees. Because that leads me to the next thing that... I wrote down when I was studying this. Look how Jesus responded to their complaint. 
Verse 21, Jesus answered them and said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What's his point? Well, like Jesus often does, when, when he cuts, it cuts two ways. All right? Watch the two-edged sword of what Jesus just said to them. Oh, you cool people who have your religion down? Don't you know that the physician ought to be with people who are sick, not with people who are well? But you know, I think Jesus, I'm just guessing, (laughs) but it just seems to me that he was also thinking, and you don't know you're sick. When do you go to a doctor? When you know you're sick or when you have to get the annual physical because you want money off your insurance or whatever, right? I mean, that's, that's really about it, okay? You, you don't go to the doctor just because you like hanging out with your doctor. That's probably not, I mean, maybe a nice man or woman that's your doctor, but you probably wouldn't want to go hang out in their office, right? Schedule a visit just so you can be friends with them. You go to the physician because you know you need you need more than what you can read because you've been reading everything on the internet and hadn't figured out anything yet that works. So you go to a doctor who hopefully knows how to apply that stuff better than you. Jesus said, okay, religious guys, the people who are sick need a doctor. Notice verse 32. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. You see, my relationship with Jesus helps me see that everyone needs forgiveness. My relationship with Jesus reminds me often that I need forgiveness. And you know what? If you haven't been reminded lately that you need forgiveness, you're not walking as close to Jesus as you think you are. Because when we're walking close to Jesus, we're constantly recognizing that we're not like him. We we need for him to give us a whole new perspective and a whole new life. It's like the guy who came to me, and I've had him a lot through the years. Oh, pastor, it seems like now that I'm following Jesus, I'm sinning more than ever. And I chuckle and say, no, you're probably sinning about the same amount. It's just you didn't notice it before, all right? Now you find yourself wanting to do what's right and you're beginning to get conviction that you know that's not right. You see, being with Jesus reminds us that everyone needs forgiveness. It doesn't make us join an elite club and we say, those people. You know, churches have to be real careful when they start talking about those people. You look at a list of a dying church, and one of the things they're listing is they're glad they're not like those people who live around their church. That's a very condemning statement to the people of God. Hey, listen, we are just like those people, except but for the grace of God, we are here with a relationship with God through Jesus. That's why Paul would say, but for the grace of God, 
there, there I go. I am what I am by the grace of God. Are you getting the point? I mean, I can keep going. Uh, you notice I'm not sticking very close to my notes. I'm just trying to go to I think you got it. All right? You got this right? That, that we, as a follower of Christ, we have to be careful that our relationship with Jesus helps me see that everyone needs Jesus. But the story goes on. It says in verse 23, is that 23, 33, it's very small. I guess I should go back to this one, all right? It's a little bit bigger in here, all right? It says in verse, what was that again? 33, okay? It, it says that they said to him, who, who's the they? The Pharisees. They said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. What were they saying? Your disciples came to a party and they're feasting. Our disciples know how to fast. Our disciples are better than your disciples, right? So Jesus, as only Jesus could do, answered the question with a question. Verse 34. Jesus said to them, who? The Pharisees. Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Let me stop for a minute. I wish I'd have brought my phone up here, but you couldn't have seen it anyway. Uh, when I was teaching in Northern Africa a couple weeks ago, one of the guys there was showing me pictures from his phone of his family. And he was just so excited to show me pictures of his wife and of his, his kids. And he showed me a picture of one of his little daughters. And he was trying to speak English, you know. And he said, daughter. I said, yeah, that's your daughter. Yeah, daughter. And then he said, uh, dress. And then he said, um, wedding. He came up with the word. And I, I knew exactly what he was talking about. And he flipped through and he found a couple more pictures of everyone dancing at the wedding. And his little girl out there in her little dress-me-up dress was just out there. You could tell she was just spinning around and having a blast. Listen, we in America do not know how to have weddings. I'm telling you. We spend a ton of money, and it's not nearly as much fun as it is in places like that. KK and I went to one one time in, in, a, in a North African country, and they took us to this wedding, and they made me dance. And don't get too worried. It was with the men because the men dance, and then the women dance, right? But, I mean, the bride changed dresses like four or five times just while we were there. They have so many phases, and the wedding feast usually would last even a week in, in uh, Bible times, all week long, I could just see the groom going, hey, come on now. I mean, I married this girl. Let me go, you know. But no, that wasn't the plan, right? Jesus said, look, when you have a wedding and the bridegroom and bride and the bridegroom are there, you don't fast. You have a party. And Jesus was trying to say to them in Old Testament language, the bridegroom is here. I'm here. I'm the promised one that God is sending. Notice what he says in verse 35. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast 
in those days. Hmm. What's that about? It's Jesus predicting to them that he wasn't going to be around, but just for a couple more years. And then he was going to be taken away. How was he taken away? Put on a cross to pay for our sin. Raised from the dead to show that he'd conquered sin, death, and hell. Taken to the right hand of the Father, waiting until the day he comes back for his bride. That bridegroom, bride thing's about to change in the way the picture is realigned. The Pharisees were looking at him like, bridegroom, bride, what, what's all that about? So verse 36, he told them, the Pharisees, a parable. Now as Johnny and I looked through the book of Luke, we said, you know, there's so many teachings and so many parables, we can't cover them all. We're going to have to wait and just do a section on, on parables and on teaching, but I'm cheating a little bit today because I, I, don't, I want to dive into this parable just for a second to show you how it applies to a religion and a relationship. What's the parable? Verse 36. No one tears a piece of new cloth and puts it on an old garment. If he does, it will tear the new, and the piece from the old will not match the old. In other words, you, you put those two together, and then you wash it, and it's going to stretch, and it's going to, you know, it's just not going to work, okay? They understood. You may not. I may not, but they understood, all right? You can't mix those. There's 37. And no one puts new wine into an old wineskin. Now, here's something we really don't understand, all right? Because the, the wineskin was taken from, from the animal, and they would pour in the wine and let it ferment inside the fresh wineskin. And over time, it would expand. Now, the wineskin would harden, and what was inside would expand as it fermented over time. And then they would often bring it out and mix it even with water to make bad water good as they would mix it together that's how they would typically drink their wine but then it says no one puts new wine into an old wine skin for if he does that new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed but new wine must be put into fresh wine skins and no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good now what's Jesus saying to them he's saying hey look guys i know you don't get this yet but i'm new wine i'm not old and you can't pour me into your religious system and keeping the rules of your religion, I'm going to blow it up. Not because I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I'm so going to fulfill it. It won't be about external rules anymore. It'll be about an internal life that's been changed. And I'm going to give new life, and it's going to take a new container for this new life. What is that new container? Jesus said, unless we're born again, we cannot see the kingdom of heaven. What is that new container? It's not God trying to pour his new life into your old religious ways or my old rule keeping. It's God putting new life in me in such a way that it changes the way I live from the inside out. It requires a new heart by Jesus giving us a new life. 
Interestingly, what's that last phrase about? When you drink the old, you're going to say the old is good. About 30 years ago, a guy wrote a book. He entitled it, The Seven Last Words of the Church. We never did it that way before. I didn't count, but it's something like whatever. I mean, put whatever the seven words, it was like that. There are churches in America today that are dying because they've got an old way of doing things. They're never going to change. Barry, they would never have anything like a drum in church. There would never be a guitar. And those things just, what's that all about? Because the old method of keeping rules in religion, you can figure out maybe. But the new way of living with Jesus from your heart transforms you from the inside out. Now, I think I'm going to do something right here that I haven't done in a while. I'm just going to leave you guessing on the rest of the sermon, all right? And next week, we may or may not pick it up there. If I, if I don't, I'll, I'll write something up on the blog so you can follow me along, all right? But I think we need to stop because of time and make sure you really get this. So let me ask you a few questions. Would your life be more described as religion our relationship with Jesus. When Jesus comes into our life, there's an expected pathway that we walk. I mean, we, we walk a different way, but it's not because somebody threw us a rule book and we figured out on this day you do this and then on this day you do that. But it's because Jesus gives new life to his follower and changes them from the inside out. I plead with you, if you only know religion, today could be the day God would give you a new heart. Because the physician has come. And he has come to us because we're all dead in sin until Jesus makes us alive in him. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? And as we pray, think about God working in your life before today. Has he made you tired of religion? Has he made you where there's no satisfaction in keeping rules? Has he given you a hunger to have a relationship with your maker? If so, today could be the day you could say, God, I know I've sinned, and I know I need a Savior. And I believe Jesus died to pay for my sin, and I want you to change my heart and help me live a whole new way. I put my trust in Jesus. I stopped trusting in myself. And if you entered this room today already knowing that you were a true follower of Jesus, he'd changed your heart, he, he'd come to live in you by his spirit. Can we all say today, Lord, deliver me from falling back into religion. 
Deliver me from trying to live a life of rules instead of a life of knowing you and walking with you. And if there's ever been a time when you feel like you were closer or you you loved him more than you do today, ask him to restore you to your first love, to that fresh love of knowing how much you need him and how much he loves you. Father, thank you for making your word come to life. And we pray now that you would continue to lead us even as we sing about your worthiness. In Jesus' name.